Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is September the 11th. It's a Sunday, yes, of the year 2022. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala. D. you have to excuse me because I'm trying to multitask here. I hope this day finds you and your family well. I hope it finds you and your family in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, today... We are going to start this mini-series about the epistle that the Apostle Paul sent to the Colossians located in Colossae. If you can remember last time, I told you that I was going to shake things up a bit and stray away a little bit, man, just one week from the race, religion, and uh, racism series that the uh, late great Dr. Frederick Casey Price started back in 1997. Also, I want to make a correction. At the very end of the uh, last week's episode, I mentioned to those who don't know the risen Savior, they can go to Acts chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and if they want to include 11, include verse 11. But I made a mistake. Now, those of you who know me, y'all knew that I misspoke. I meant to say go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 and 11. Okay, I thought I would clear that up. Uh, excuse me. Remember, this is learning Bible truth. So if I misspeak and I hear it, once I play the episode back, I will make a correction. So like I said, today we are going to start this series entitled The Epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He wrote it to the Colossians. Now, this is going to be uh, a, an introduction, if you will, into this letter. It's only four chapters, but we are going to explore each chapter in full detail. It's called teaching, saints. It's called teaching. Now, I have a small disclaimer. If you are not born again, if you are not a born again believer, born again from above, you will not understand this message. And I'm talking about some of you who profess to be Christians. You will not understand this message. This is a spiritual message, as with all the scriptures pertaining to our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So, and look, that's not a put down. It's uh, really an attempt to get you to be born again or lead you to be born again because you must be, you got to be 
born again to understand the things of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I say that with love, saints. I say that with love. Now, whenever we study one of the New Testament epistles or letters, if you will, now there is a slight difference between epistle and letter. Now, an epistle can be written for a group of people, for several different peoples in different locations. Anyone can read an epistle. But a letter is more personal. So when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it as an epistle because it could be read outside of the congregation in Colossae. Okay. Now, it is important that we first ask some questions about this in order for you to understand why Paul wrote this letter. Where was the city located? Who wrote the letter? And, 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 and in this case, it was the Apostle Paul. And why was the epistle or letter written initially? Mm -hmm. Why was it initially written to the church? Now, these questions are very important for understanding the context of the letter. Now, without this, we may misinterpret or, um, shall I say, laying our own ideas onto the text. And that my saints is very dangerous because our own ideas or our personal interpretation will not be accepted by God. So it is also important to understand how the culture that received the, the epistle was different to our culture today. Now we will do this as we study Colossians and, and, and apply the lessons God has for us in the 21st century. The city of Colossae was located near the towns of Hierapolis and Laodicea in the Valley of Lycus, which is, is, is now in what we call modern-day Turkey. It was not a particularly important city. Rather, it was one you would travel through on your way to somewhere important. Now, just based on um, studies and... and um, studying uh, the Apostle Paul and his movement in scripture and, and in other literature, Paul never visited the city in, in Colossae. Mm -mm. The church in Colossae was apparently founded by, I would say he was pastor, but he was definitely an evangelist. Now, like so many of the New Testament letters, Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, like I said a few minutes ago. He was in prison at Rome when he wrote this epistle, and it was written about the same time as he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. Now, Colossians was, was written after Paul received a report from Epaphras concerning a heresy which had surfaced and, and was threatening the true teachings of the gospel. Now, there were several churches around and, and, and near Colossae who were also practicing these heretical teachings. So Paul wrote Colossians to an entire area, which is why it's not considered to be a letter. It's not personal. It's, it's an epistle. Rather than only one group, he wrote it to an entire area. And we will read about that in chapters 4, verse 16. Now, Paul asked that this epistle be read in the church at Laodicea 
and that the Colossians read the, the, the epistle that he wrote uh, to Laodicea. Now, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Laodicea has never been found. So it could not be put in the Bible. And Lord knows I wish it was because we would see the similarities because you can see the similarities that, that Paul wrote to the uh, church at Ephesus and um, in, in Galatia. So that's just one of the letters that's missing or one of the epistles that's missing that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians as with the church at Corinth. Do you know that there was more than uh, one and two letters? It, it was four, if I'm not mistaken, if, if, if not four, definitely three, but the others could not be found. So we have first and second Corinthians. Now, what is heresy and what was it at that time? The heresy confronted at Colossae was an early form of Gnosticism. Now, I may step on some toes here because if you are being taught this in some of your churches, well, then it's good you are listening. Yes, because you will find out, according to the Bible, if we compare it to the teachings of the Bible, it's contrary to the gospel. So heresy had swept through the church for, for over 100 years and is seriously threatening or had threatened the purity of the message of the gospel. Now, 1 John was specifically written to combat Gnosticism. Now, the book of Acts, chapter 8, records uh, the meeting of Simon Peter, if y'all can remember, if you read the Bible on a regular basis. Uh, Simon Peter is an apostle of Christ Jesus and a Simon Magus, who was considered to be a sorcerer a male Miss Cleo, if you will. He was a medium. <laughs> now, after uh, Simon Magus saw that people received the Holy Spirit after the apostles laid their hands on them, Magus tried to purchase this power with money. Now, Simon Magus had taken an interest in Christianity and the theology of Christianity, but was he, he was never converted. Now, I heard a well-known minister of the gospel, well known throughout this entire world, make a comment about Simon Magus when he tried to purchase this. Now, before that happened, before um, he witnessed the um, apostles lay their hands on people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, he himself had claimed he had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. So after which he tried to purchase the Holy Spirit, this well-known minister was saying, well, you know, uh, we can see that, you know, even saved people, people who are in Christ can, can make some mistakes. No, 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 no. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, because you have to remember the apostles laid their hands on him too. You are not going to try to purchase the Holy Spirit. See, you're going to learn a little bit about uh, Simon Magus as well. Now, according to tradition, he became the father of Gnosticism. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Simon Magus was a Samaritan by birth. His mother was Jewish and his father was Persian. Now, there was a great deal of animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. If you can remember, when Jesus met the Samaritan at Jacob's well, she mentioned that the Jews have no dealings with us. 
And perhaps this led Simon, you know, this is just my opinion, to seek other answers to life rather than within the pages of his mother's religion, which was Judaism. His mother practiced Judaism. His father was involved in Gnosticism. Okay, now Gnosticism comes from the word Gnosis or knowledge. That's what it means. It means knowledge. And in this case, a secret knowledge available to only a select group. Gnostics believed that there was an uncreated God, a, a goddess, who created several eons, one known as Sophia. Now, you, you know what the word Sophia is. It's Greek for wisdom. Now, Sophia, in turn, created demigods. Now, one of the demigods was the Hebrew god Jehovah. Excuse me, saints. <clears throat> I had a throat lodging, and I'm at the very tail end of it. Got a little stuck in my throat there. Now, according to the Gnostics, Jehovah created the universe and, and, and all material things, but because he was a jealous God, he was responsible for evil in the world. Now, Jehovah tried to stop the first humans, which was Adam and Eve, from receiving knowledge. Now, after they tried to gain knowledge by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, now Jehovah banned them from the Garden of Eden and punished them. Now, Lucifer is the good guy in Gnostics teachings. Okay, so right there we know Gnosticism is associated with evil and deep demonic worship. Okay, he had crept into the garden to help the humans find knowledge and was then cursed by Jehovah. Now, Sophia sent Lucifer's brother, Jesus, uh-huh, and you are hearing me correct. Sophia, according to the Gnostics' teachings, sent Lucifer's brother, Jesus, to teach people how to get back to the truth. But his disciples misunderstood him. Now, Gnostics believed that the entire material world was evil because it had been created by a lesser God, Jehovah. Now, therefore, they claim that Jesus never had a real human body at all. He simply appeared to be human. Now, remember, the apostle John says that anyone who says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh is the Antichrist. So it's safe for us to say that Gnosticism and Gnostics is a teaching of the Antichrist, okay? Now, boy, I tell you, it, it, it just studying for this, uh, that's why I study different religions so that I can combat it with the teachings of the true gospel, which is written in the Holy Bible, okay? And I can tell you this, false teaching and pagan teaching and pagan worship comes from people not understanding the Bible, this is why I said you must be born again to hear this message and understand this message. Because when you try to understand the Bible with your own understanding, you come up with Gnosticism. Yeah, you come up with Gnosticism. Now, this particular idea is called Doceticism. Now, from the word Dossi, it to appear for Christians, this theology, apart from being offensive, reduced the message of the gospel to what would be comical or uh, entertainment. And, and therefore, if Jesus wasn't a real person, then his sacrifice on the cross was not real. And therefore, it was ineffective. Now, in his first epistle to the church, 
the Apostle John writes against Gnosticism. You have to remember all of the epistles in the gospel and after the gospel was written to address false teachings that had made its way into the Christian church. Uh-huh. These were people who were trying to reconvert the new Christians or new converts back to their pagan worship. Yeah, that's what they were trying to do. That was the reason for all of the epistles. Now, I want you to understand this. John wrote against Gnosticism, putting an emphasis on the real humanity of Jesus. Now, for Gnostics, only the spirit world can be pure and holy. You know, taking its roots back to Sophia, who has no material form. For the leaders of Gnosticism, such as Simon Magus, the power to perform the supernatural was given to those who climbed up through various stages of esoteric teachings and was closely tied to the visitations of angels and other spiritual beings. Now, little is known about Gnostic practices because much of their literature was destroyed. However, some of the Gospels written by Gnostics to counter the Christian gospel still exist. And also a lot of literature written by Christians such as Arrhenius about the practices of Gnosticism, that survived. Salvation for Gnostics is to find the spark of the divine Sophia, which remains within and develop it through various techniques, including meditation and esotericism, now, many scholars have seen a very direct link to Eastern religions uh, in the Gnostics teachings, especially some of the early teachings in the, in the Gathens and the uh, Avestus. Now, the writings of the Zeratorians, this would not be unlikely as Simon Magus' father was Persian and may have had access to these writings. Now, women played a large role in leadership, especially because of their communication with spirits and angels. <laughs> Unbelievable. And they presumably passed on secret information about salvation. Talking about these angels. They presumably passed on secret information about salvation to these women. Now, within Gnosticism, there is a great emphasis on the human person as divine and self-development to full divinity. Now, self is essentially good because humans can become divine. And many Gnostic practices resemble closely the religions of the Iranians and such as Hinduism and Buddhism. Now, everybody know a Buddhist. I know some. And they are some of the most mean and hateful people that I know. From the writings that survived, it appears that Gnosticism split into two radically different factions. On one side were the ascetics who taught that the body must be overcome and restrained. Mm -hmm. Now, strict forms of self-discipline were applied in order to gain higher spiritual awareness. A, a practice Paul mentions in Colossians 2.23. We will get to it when we start studying the scriptures. Now, on the other side was also the complete opposite. Some Gnostics believed that the body could not affect the spirit at all and practiced extremely liberal forms of sexuality, indulging in orgies, 
swinging in every kind of sexual immorality you can think of. They believe that the emotions and lusts and desires must be released in order to free the spirit from bodily bondage. Now, in a similar way to the people of the past who had worshipped Baal or Astra, it, it's general terms, anything that Jehovah banned must be the way to spiritual freedom. That's what they believed. Anything that Jehovah was against and banned it had to be the way to spiritual freedom. They didn't trust nothing that Jehovah God said. Now, the first point of Gnosticism separates people into groups, those with special knowledge and those without it. Now, in Colossae, the claim was that this special knowledge was being given by angels and angels were being worshipped as a result of this teaching. Now, you remember this introduction is to share with you why Paul wrote this letter. Because everything I'm sharing with you was being told to the Colossians in the church at Colossae. And Epaphras made a long journey into Rome to visit Paul because this was far above his pay grade. He's like, wait a minute, these people coming in here telling us these things. I need to go and get information from Paul. So Paul sent that letter back in, in, in full detail about who Jesus is and that you are complete in Christ. Now, no angel of God would ever accept worship. And we need to understand that. We can safely assume that it was fallen angels who were demons, all fallen angels are demons, which were being worshipped and giving these people false experiences of knowledge. Now, the second point is even more of a problem. If all matter, all human flesh, what the flesh is made up of, atoms, you know, all matter is evil, which is what these Gnostics were teaching, then how could a good God create such evil? Also, the Gnostics claim that, that God could never become truly human because he would have to touch the physical evil creation, and they believe that this was impossible. See, when you try to understand things with your own mind, See, that's why the Bible says lean not on your own understanding. You can't, you can't understand the Bible with your own understanding. You have to be in the spirit. That's why you must be born again. Now, the Gnostics taught that there were levels of holiness and many beings with less and less divinity until we get to Jesus and angels. Mm, unbelievable. Now, in uh, Colossians, Paul points out, that every believer has received the divine knowledge through Jesus Christ. Not a select few, every believer. And that the Holy Spirit dwells in all Christians, not all people, all born-again Christians. Not just a chosen few with special knowledge. Paul also reminds the Colossians, that Christ is the creator of all things. Therefore, the physical universe is not evil. Now, he tells them that using extreme physical discipline has no value for holiness. Neither should they worship angels, nor think they are holy for keeping human, just human base traditions. Okay, now Paul reminds them not to be involved in sexual immorality and gives them some practical advice for Christian living. Now, the epistle to Colossae has many beautiful points, especially about the person of Jesus Christ in chapter one. It is a book 
which I believe is very useful in all cultures, especially in cultures where religious and spiritual traditions have become superstitious. Now, in Western cultures, some churches have allowed, uh, I would say, Eastern religious practices into the church. And there are many leaders claiming to have special powers from the Holy Spirit, which I consider to be very Gnostic because every believer have the same power from God. Okay. There is also a lot of practical advice for, for marriage and bringing up children and living in the spirit and, and, and how to be a good Christian witness. And, and it talks about relationships. All of these we will study while keeping in mind that the cultural differences we have with the original readers. Now, we are first going to cover chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and then discuss it in detail. I am reading from the NIV for this mini-series. It may not be the NIV. As a matter of fact, I can guarantee you I will switch to the New King James at some point and the NASB at some point, but I will tell you when I do that. And the reason I, I mention uh, which version I'm reading is because there are some of you who, who may not have the NIV, and that's fine. The NIV is the new international version. That's fine. But we will end up in the same place. There will be a differences in wording, which is why I'm telling you this. Uh, your words and your Bible may be different from mine, but we will end up in the same place. I can guarantee you that. So we are in Colossians chapter one, beginning at verse one. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse 4, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, Verse 5 says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Verse 6, that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And verse 8 saints says, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. And what Paul left out is, and he told us all the false teaching and pagan teachings that has entered the church. Yeah, you know. <laughs> now, of course, Paul, like I said earlier, Paul is in prison when he wrote this. And it was in the year, uh, some say uh, 62 AD, but my studies say it is between the years 60 to 62 AD. Now, Paul has never been to this, this city uh, because there is no documentation that he had ever uh, visited Colossae. Uh, an evangelist or the pastor called Epaphras 
who, who is the one who reported everything about the church to Paul, he planted this congregation. He started it. Okay. The letter also introduces Timothy, who was staying with Paul and who was also known as Paul's spiritual son. He was staying with Paul in Rome at the time. Paul tells them that he and Timothy thank the Lord for three things. The faith they have in Christ, which is number one. Number two, the love they have for all the saints. And number three, the hope they have stored up for themselves in heaven. Now, these three are the essence of Christianity. Faith, love, and hope. Now, faith looks upward to God. Love looks outward to others. And hope looks forward to the future. Now, faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present and the hope and anticipation of the future. These are the great, what we call in theology, trilogy of Christianity. Now, in this well-known parable, the Lord calls us to hear his words and practice them. And that parable was in Luke chapter six, verses 46 through 49. I'm going to read some other scriptures outside of Colossians uh, when I feel it's necessary. And some I, I will just give you the scriptures so that you can study later. So um, we, we have to look at this parable in, in Luke 6, 46, 49, because the Lord calls us to hear his words and practice them. His words are the facts and his promises. Now, that is his part. And when the Apostle Paul talks about love, love looks outward to others. Paul says in, in verse 5 that faith and love spring from the hope we have that is stored up in heaven. Love, then, is the outward fruit of those who have faith and hope. Paul writes about love in 1 Corinthians 13. He is writing to Christians who thought they were very spiritual because of their spiritual gifts. But at the same time, they were arguing and fighting among themselves. Now, in other words, they were not exercising love. Now, Paul tells them that no matter what great deeds they do, if those deeds are not done in love, they are eternally useless. Now, the Greek word love that Paul uses is agape love. It's also recorded in 1 John 4, 16. It says, God is love. The same word, agape. So therefore, we could replace the word love in Corinthians 13 with the word God. It can read like this. God is patient. It's, instead of saying love is patient, we can say God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. My Lord, now without the love of God that is supposed to be within us, motivating our actions, our actions are not actions of love done in faith. Now, there are many people who do good things, saints, and we all know this. You don't even have to be a Christian to do something good. There are many people who do good things. They have a great amount of knowledge, can give everything they have to the poor, 
and, and, and even willing to die for what they believe, all actions which Paul describes. But if they don't have agape love, that God kind of love, if they don't have God, everything that they did or do is and was eternally useless. Just useless. Love must be behind everything we do. Now, we are called to love each other, saints. And that's what Paul was telling the uh, Christians in Colossae. Not just feeling of love, but putting each other before ourselves. Agape love is an action which often requires self-sacrifice. Now, God himself set down this precedent for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in John 3.16. Now, we are called to act in love towards others and towards one another, just as God acted in love towards us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Now, the Bible says, um, and, and, and wait, hold up. I, I, I made a mistake. Let me look at these scriptures I wrote down in my notes. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21, and I will read these. It says, beginning at 17, 1 John, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And I'm still reading from the NIV. In this world, we are like Jesus. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love because he, he who Jesus first loved us. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. <laughs> For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God. Let me say that again. Cannot love God whom they have not seen. And finally, verse 21 says, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. My God, those are some powerful scriptures. Now, when we are in Christ, we have no need to fear judgment because God's love has been made perfect in us. His love has been made perfect in us, which is why we shouldn't have no fear. We should walk fearless in this world. However, we are called to manifest this same love outwardly to others, just as God acted in love towards us. Now, when Paul talked about the word hope, hope looks forward to the future. Paul said, our faith and love spring from the hope we have stored up for us in heaven. So what do we have stored up for us? John 14 verses one through four says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking. Verse two says, "My father, in my father's house has many rooms. Remember, I'm reading for the NIV. Yours may say many mansions. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. He says, I will come back. So which means the same Jesus that left here, that ascended on high, is going to be the same Jesus returning to get us and take us back to be with him. 
Um, let me read verse three over. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Verse four, you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, Jesus asked us to trust in him. Okay, which is what the Gnostics were teaching contrary to. And then Jesus tells us that he is going back to heaven to prepare a place for us so that we can be with him. Now, do you believe this? I'm asking you, do you believe this? In 1 Peter 1, 3, 5, the apostle calls this a living hope and speaks of our inheritance. He says that it can never perish which means be destroyed. It can never be destroyed. It can never be spoiled or it can never fade away. And it is kept in heaven for us. Now the word kept means a garrison or keep, uh, a fortress. Now Peter's analogy is that Jesus Christ himself is guarding our inheritance. Now while we wait for it, we are also shielded by our faith and God's power. That's why I say you got to be spiritual to hear this message. If you are not born again, you won't get it. But those who are spiritual, who are listening to this message, and from what I'm being told by Anchor and Spotify, people all over the world is hearing it. Y'all are probably shouting up to the rooftops by now. And let me say that again. While we wait for our inheritance, we are also shielded by our faith and God's power. Now, this is our hope. It isn't an, an, an uncertain hope like the child uh, who hopes he will, you know, would get a particular present at Christmas. This inheritance of ours has been promised by the Lord himself, the one who never lies. Okay, man lies. Man changes his mind, but our Lord never lies. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one whose promises can be trusted. Okay, the Bible says that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That's written in Romans 8, 17. Y'all can, y'all can write that down and read that later. We are co-heirs with, with Christ. That means that all that belongs to Christ belongs to us. Now, in the next three verses, six through eight, Paul summarizes his opening remarks about the gospel of faith, hope, and love. He says it is producing fruit all over the world and growing as it should. Now, faith, love, and hope are, are, like I said a few minutes ago, the great trilogy. Now, faith looks upward towards the Lord, trusting in him, letting him build. I'm sorry, I just hit the mic, saints. Uh, letting him build the house on the rock against the storms of life. Agape love looks outward to others and is the natural expression of those who are born again. Now, this kind of love is only available to those who know Christ, those who are born again, those who are in Christ, those who are born from above, not those who are still in the spirit and, and whose uh, uh, spirit nature has never been born again. That's not who Paul is talking to. Those who are filled with his agape love are those who are born again. And hope looks forward to the future and lives for the future. Now, we know that whatever happens to us, we have an inheritance waiting for us, which is infinitely more incredible than anything we can have or imagine in this lifetime. Now, let's look at verse 9. Now, 
Verse 9 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The latter part of verse 9 says, And his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You must be born again, saints. The first thing that Paul prays for is that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, in our study, we, we will examine, you know, in brief, what scripture says about how we can know the will of God for our lives. Why does Paul mention this first? For two reasons. This letter is written against Gnosticism, which is about knowledge. So Paul is praying that they have the most important knowledge, okay? Also, we cannot accomplish God's will unless we know what his will is. The whole of the Christian life is about doing the will of God. Can we all agree on that? Now, Jesus stressed this continually in his teachings. So it is vital. It is very important, saints, that we understand this. Consider this verse from Matthew 7, verse 21. It says this, and I'm still reading the NIV. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 7, 21. Now, let's, let's look at God's general will. Now, we may speak of God's will as, as general and, and individual. God's general will is that um, which we find outlined in scripture. Now, scripture is full of warnings. It is full of encouragements. It, 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 it's full of commands, advice, and, and so on and so forth. Every major topic concerning our salvation, sanctification, being filled with the Holy Spirit, living in, in, living in loving relationships, repentance, and so on, is on every page that we read in the Bible. Uh-huh. God's general will is for, for all of us. It, it's, it's non-negotiable. Let me say that. It's non-negotiable. And we can fill our hearts with the knowledge through the daily readings of God's word and listening to ministries who teach Bible truth, such as this one. And I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying I'm here. I'm here for you. As I learn, I am to share what God has shown me through scripture. I'm pointing out scripture to you. Now, what is God's individual will? Mm. But what about his will for, for us as individuals? This is often more difficult for us to know. So we all have questions like, who should I marry? You know, which university should I attend? Um, what do you want me to do in the future, Lord? Are you calling me into full-time ministry? You know, stuff like that. But God's individual will, I can tell you this. Everything in our Christian life must be by faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is God's individual will for us, okay, is to believe on his son. 
and to have faith in his son and to have faith in him in every word that he shares with us according to his promises. And the first major promise is salvation through Christ. You remember John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes that whosoever believes that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So you need to make sure you read Hebrews eleven six because it says without faith, it is impossible to please God and you can't change this. Nobody can, can change and twist these scriptures. We can't change that without faith. It is impossible to please God. Okay. Now there are some who teach that God doesn't tell us uh, his will for, for, for us individually. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I disagree entirely. And so does the Bible. Some tell us this. Well, God chose Isaac's wife. Genesis 24. Yeah, he did. But that was a different dispensation. We are in the dispensation of grace and we all have free wills. They had free will back in that day. But today the Bible says for us not to be unequally yoked with non-believers. We just need to uh, remember that. Okay, saints. Now, conditions for knowing God's will. Now, now this raises the very first con condition for knowing God's will. If we have already decided what we are going to do, despite what the Lord says, we will never hear his voice. Mm -mm. We will never hear his voice. We will never know his will concerning uh, the thing that we, you know, that we chose to do on our own. The first condition to knowing God's will is to come to him with open arms, asking him to take out or put in whatever his will is for us. And that is through scripture. And let me tell you this. Don't you ever open yourself up and say, Lord, talk to me. Tell me what to do. Because then you open up yourself to demonic spirits speaking to you. Like uh, this, this famous pastor who fell from grace. And I don't need to say his name. But he went to prison to see his his mother's brother, his uncle, and his uncle, um, talked about salvation, but then his uncle asked him to do him a favor, or whatever. And he tells his uncle that he wasn't ready for salvation. Now that's not in our hands. Our, our, our responsibility is to preach the gospel. So in other words, he never shared God's saving grace with his uncle. So his uncle eventually died. And when he heard that his uncle died, and before he could hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, this man allowed Satan a door to come in because he felt bad about it. He took it personally. You should never take that personally. Our job is to do what God tells us to do and walk on and move forward. Well, the devil spoke to him and told him that you don't have to accept Christ. The finished work of, of works of Christ on the cross covers everybody. So nobody has to accept Christ. They are saved anyway. There's no such thing as hell. Now, Lord knows the devil was talking to him. And you know what? I'm going to say his name because it was in public. And there's a movie about him on um, Netflix. His name is Carlton Pearson. He fell from grace and he fell hard. The body of Christ kicked him out because they, they asked him. Tell us where you, what scriptures you are getting this from. And he said, well, God spoke to me. And all Robert said to him, are you sure it was God talking to you? Because let me tell you something, saints. 
God will never go contrary to his word. The problem is a lot of us don't know when God is speaking even in scripture. God is not speaking in scripture. All scripture is inspired by God, meaning he want us to hear it. He authorized the scriptures to be written, but God is not speaking through all scripture. When they were killing uh, Jesus on the cross, you think that uh, that God was 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 fine with that? Uh, well, Peter being hung and Philip being stoned to death. You think that God was in agreement with that? No, he wasn't. So we need to be able to rightly divide these scriptures. So when we go to God, we need to know how God is talking to us. We need to know that it is God talking to us. And the re how we know that is through scripture. The more you read and understand, you ask God for understanding. He will give you the understanding. You listen to learning Bible truth, not just here, but others, other ministries that are teaching truth. You listen to them and you follow these scriptures. Don't you ever let anyone tell you anything and they don't give you scripture to support it. Okay. And that's free. Don't you ever let anyone tell you this is what God is saying and don't show you in scripture. That's how you open the door for Satan to come in and trick you. Because remember, the Bible says, and this is Jesus talking, Satan can fool even the elect. The elect is God chosen, if possible. When you open that door and stray away from scripture, that's how you can be deceived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I also want you to read Luke 9, 23. And uh, he will give us the knowledge of his will. He who God, God will give us the knowledge of his will. But there are several other conditions to knowing God's will. They are found in Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. And I will read this. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform or be conformed to this world. NIV says any longer to the patterns of this world. Excuse me. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will or his good, pleasing and acceptable will of God. Uh, that's, I just got through telling you guys this and here's scripture to back up what I said. Okay, you have to renew your mind with the word of God so that the devil can't come in and trick you. When the devil come in with that foolishness saying things contrary to the word of God, you ought to cast those thoughts down and take them into captivity. Oh yes, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge and will of God, you need to cast them down. And you need to replace them with the word of God. Yeah. And number one, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Number two, do not conform to the world. And number three, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, Paul's appeal in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is what I just word, it abolishes any idea that we can live immoral lives, live any kind of way we want. And, and deceive ourselves that this does not affect our spiritual worship. Because we can grieve the Holy Spirit, those who are born again. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that spirit in our heart, which comes and sets up shop in your heart when you accept Christ, when you genuinely accept Christ. That's how you are born again. 
Now, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit is really in you, you wouldn't put it this way. If you sin, because we do, we do fall short. We miss the mark every day. You will be grieved about it. You will feel that, that, that grievance in your heart from the Holy Spirit. You will feel bad about it. And then you will, will repent of it and not do it again. But those who can wake up every day with thoughts of hurting others. What, what am I going to do today to scam someone? What am I going to do today not to help someone? What am I going to do today not to lift someone up? Not to at least hold a door open for someone. Those people are not born again and you find them sitting in the pews every Sunday or whenever the church doors open on the front row. Not listening or receiving anything. There are people filled with hate and they sin feeling good about it. Can sleep good at night. But not a born again Christian. You hurt somebody, you be up all night thinking about that. Feeling so bad about it and you don't mind apologizing. No, you do not mind apologizing. Now, when we live holy, holiness implies sanctification. The action of being made holy, which is in Hebrews 10, 14. The Holy Spirit dwelling within every believer works to empower us to holy living. We can't do it without, without the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you guys, we can't do it. Our part is to be led by the Spirit, Galatians 5 and 16. Now, the offering of our bodies also implies other powerful and positive aspects. Now, we can use our bodies for various forms of services. You know, every day we make intellectual decisions as to, as to how we can use our bodies to worship God. You know, in an emotional sense, we can lift our hands to express what we feel in our, in our hearts. Or we can dance or, or bow down and, and so forth. All of these are emotional responses. But Paul appeals to us on an intellectual level in, in this scripture. He calls us to practical worship. Jesus offered his body in practical service and we are called to do the same. It is about serving Christ even when we don't feel like serving Christ. Paul says do not conform to the patterns of this world. That's what he says. The world Paul is speaking of is, is not just a natural creation. Not just that, but it, it includes that. But it also includes the marketplace mentality that tells us to live for our bodily pleasures rather than for the sanctification of our souls. Now, scripture warns us many times about loving the marketplace mentality or system of this world. So I want you to read, for example, 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17, and James chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Now the word conformed means to be molded, you know, fitted into a, a, a mold through a process of, of imitation. Now don't let the, the world shape you into its, 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 its mold. Okay, don't let the world uh, shape you to be imitations of it. Like I see, oh Lord, social media is Pandora's box. Now the idea here is that the world tries to force everyone into its pattern of thinking. You know, it's, it's, it's way of life. And, and people become world shaped, a worldly shape through imitating the world's example. I see this going on even with Christians. My Lord. 
working for the devil, but claiming Jesus. I want you to consider that that two of the most powerful forces which we are molded into are our traditions and cultures. Okay, you need to keep that in mind. Our traditions and cultures are made up of those things which our predecessors imitated from their parents and may often be contrary to scriptural teachings. So culture and, and traditions not always are in agreement with the Bible. So when we give our lives to Christ, we agree to follow him exclusively, not our culture, not our traditions, not what mama and daddy always say that's contrary to what God uh, has to say in his word. And, and this includes giving up everything in our cultures and in our traditions, which do not glorify God. We need to understand that. And Paul says to be ye transformed. Now, to be ye transformed, Paul appeal is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Greek verb Paul uses is metaphorphu, which uh, we know in English as metaphorphous. This means to change from one thing into another thing. This word is used to describe when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It is also used to describe what happens to Jesus in Matthew 17 too, on the mountain where he was transfigured. It's also called the mountain of transfiguration. Many commentators believe that what the disciples witnessed in Jesus is very similar or even exactly the same to what happens to us at the rapture or when we leave this body. For the Christian, being transformed is the gradual process of becoming like Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and that bears reading. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I wasn't going to read it, but I decided to read it. Um, you don't have to go there, but you can. You can pause the tape, and when you come back, we'll be on the same place. I will begin reading. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory or being transformed into his image with every increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now notice here that Paul says that this transformation comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. It is the Holy Spirit dwelling within us who, do, who actually does the work of transformation, not us. Our part is to be obedient. Now, within the born-again believer, the born-again believer are two natures. A sinful nature, which is our flesh, uh, which we inherited from our mothers and fathers. Everyone born on this planet is born in sin with a sinful nature, and we are shaping in iniquity. So that beautiful grandchild of yours is a sinner until he is old enough to understand who Christ is, why he came, and the benefits of accepting Christ. He must be born again as well. That beautiful grandchild of yours, that beautiful child of yours must be born again, or that child won't make it into heaven. Everybody who passes and you see these people on television, whom the world conditioned to saying is, well, he got his wings. He's gone on to be with the Lord. No, not if he's not born again. Not if he hasn't accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Romans 10, 
and 9. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I'm just saying, I'm here to share Bible truth. And I'm saying it with love. Bible truth so that I can lead you to the truth so that you can accept the truth. Okay, so like I said, everyone born in this world is born with two natures. Okay, uh, you have a sinful spirit and you have a uh, sinful flesh. Now, our part is to be obedient. Now, within the born again believer, um, we have a sinful nature, which we inherited from our parents. And we have a divine nature, which was gifted to us at conversion when we are born again. We have two choices. We can, we can allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Christ. Or we can live according to the desires of our sinful nature. Now, if we choose the latter, uh, live um, <laughs> according to the desires of our sinful nature. I know people don't like to hear this. That's your, that, the reason you don't like to hear it because that's your flesh taking over. But if you are spiritual, you are loving this. You are loving every minute of this if you are spiritual. I remember there was a time I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't born again. But now I'm born again. What I do is make corrections when I hear something. If I hear, hear uh, that I'm doing something contrary to the word, I make adjustments. Uh -huh. I make modifications so that I don't want to offend or grieve the Holy Spirit that's in me. Because I know I'm born again. You cannot come in contact with God and remain the same. You can't do it. Can't do it. If you're still the same as you was 20, 30, 40 years ago and you claim you met Jesus, you've been lied to and you are lying to yourself. You've been lied to by Satan and you are continuing that lie. Because the Apostle John said, any man who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. So that's not coming from Dr. Kamala D. That's coming from Bible. Okay. So I, I want you to understand this. If we choose the latter to live according to our sinful natures, then the scripture suggests, or shall I say the scripture says, that at best we are disobedient Christians um, who will lose our, our reward in heaven and your life can be cut short. That's Bible. And at worst, we may not be born again at all. We have the power within us through the Holy Spirit to live according to God's will. We can do it. The problem is we are allowing the lust of our flesh to take over. You need to give up the lust uh, of your flesh and, and, and conform to the will of God. That's what I chose to do. We have to choose to do it. God is not going to just take you over. That's why we have a free will. If he didn't give us a free will, God could not condemn anybody. No one would be going to hell if we didn't have a free, free will. Isaiah says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. He says, choose ye this day. So which means we have to make a choice. So I want y'all to think about it. God's will, we are not robots. And that was God's will as well, that he did not make us robots. We have a choice. In Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, Paul uses the idea of changing a piece of clothing to describe this process. Paul says, and I'm going to read this. This is still the NIV. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new, the attitude of your minds. Verse 24, 
and to put on the new self or either the new man created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Remember, Paul is writing this to combat Gnosticism. Okay, now we ought to take off the old self and put on the new. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says that we must take up our cross daily. And this is the struggle for so-called Christians. They don't understand what taking up our cross is. We got to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. We should not be conformed to the will and lust of our bodies. That's why we have to transform our mind. And for those of you who say it's too hard to do that, that's a lie. If you are born again, it's not hard at all. Yes, we will stumble. That's why the apostle John writes in John that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking to born again Christians. He's not telling people this is how you get saved because the apostle Paul tells you how to get saved. In Romans 10, 9, 10, and 11, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shall be saved. So the apostle John is saying that, you know, we know because you are human, you're going to stumble. You feel bad about it? Confess your sins. And God is faithful, not man. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, saying so we need to understand that. So I want you to remember Paul's prayer was for God to fill us with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, if we are coming to the Lord with open arms, daily taking up our cross, offering our bodies as living sacrifices and allowing his transforming process rather than conforming to this world and fulfilling the lust of our flesh, then the Lord's prayer for us will be answered in our lives. And the, the um, Paul's prayer for the Colossians would be answered. And that's what he was telling them. Uh, so saints, now we are going to cover verses 10 through 14. And then we will call it a day. So I am still in the NIV. And beginning at verse 10, it says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. That we may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. My Lord, my Lord. Now let's cover these verses in detail. This prayer brings out an interesting progression. In verse 7 that we looked at a few minutes ago, Paul prays that they might know God's will. And then he adds this statement. He says, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now this phrase is linked to the heresies that had 
infiltrated the church at Colossae. Now, knowing God's will and having spiritual wisdom go hand in hand. But the Gnostics were telling the Christians in Colossae that God only gives wisdom to a select group of people. And Paul is making a correction here. Okay. Now, once we are aware of God's will, then it's time for action. Now, as I implied, you know, uh, a few minutes ago, God doesn't want us to act presumptuously as this can lead to many errors. It can lead to a whole bunch of problems. However, once he has made his will clear to us, we need to act on it. Now, for this is the outworking of faith, okay? Now, let's observe the progression of the Christian uh, maturity that, that Paul's prayer entails. Remember, he says this, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, the knowledge of God's will leads to living a life worthy of the Lord, which pleases him in every way. Now, this kind of life produces fruit in every good work. Now, there are fruits of, of the spirit and there are fruits of good works. Now, we use fruits of the spirit to do good works. And when we do good works, we likewise produce the fruits of the spirit. Now, these good works are, are service to others, both to Christians and non-believers. Yes, saints, we have to serve them both as Christians. Now, contrary to what some teach and believe, Good works are not something we do to maintain our salvation. Now, some of y'all know y'all heard this either in your congregation or you heard someone else talking about their congregation. They talk, look, let me tell you something. Salvation is solely the work of Jesus Christ. Now, remember that Paul wrote the uh, epistle to Ephesians, uh, uh, preferably chapter two, verse eight and nine. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. You can't boast about your good works for salvation. Now, Jesus Christ is both the author and perfecter or either finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2. And no person on this earth can ever take any credit for attributing to their salvation. Now, when you do this, you create an idea that considers a form of slander and blasphemy towards Christ. Yeah, because what it does is it nullifies his selfless sacrifice on the cross. Now, this form of slander has existed from the very birth of the church. Now, in those early days, there were many Jews, uh, which uh, legalism had, is a tied to the heresy in the church at Colossae as well. Many Jews were claiming to be Christians who were insisting that Christians, especially the new converts, that they had to keep the laws of Moses in order to be saved. In Acts 15.1. Yeah, they insisted on that. They also included the Abrahamic covenant that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Unbelievable. 
Now, this error came from a heart of pride, a belief that all Jews were saved and all Gentiles were just simply Gentile sinners. Yeah, I I'm telling you, that's what the Jews believed because if they were trying to keep the laws of Moses, because you got to remember, the Bible says none of them were able to keep it. None of them. Peter said, we couldn't keep it and our fathers couldn't keep it. So why are you trying to put this yoke around the Gentiles' necks? Yeah, Gentiles, they really believed that Gentiles were just Gentile sinners. And you can read that in Galatians 2.15. They believed that doing works of the law actually saved them. If that was the case, why did Jesus have to come? Why? If the law was working, why did Jesus have to come? And they were surprised when Paul was teaching that all were sinners before God. All have come short of God's glory. Yeah, they, they, the Jews were very arrogant. Now, in these days in which we live today, there are groups of people who have resurrected this old heresy. And just as many that uh, believe a Christian can lose their salvation, you can't lose your salvation. No, the question is whether or not you were ever saved. But you cannot lose your salvation. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. That's what Jesus says. Y'all better stop listening to man here. I give them eternal life, says the Lord Jesus, and they shall never perish. So the question is, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are you born again? Because once you're born again, you can't be unborn again. Once you're born again, you are born again. And then the latter then teach that good works are needed to keep a, a person's name from being, being uh, blotted out or deleted from the Lamb's Book of Life. Yes, all of this here says it has infiltrated churches all across America. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that, a little more about that when we get to um, uh, verse 23 in chapter one, okay? And Paul also says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, as we produce these fruits, we also grow in our knowledge of God. Now, when we are growing in the fruits of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, etc., we grow in our knowledge of God. For all of these reflect God's character. Okay, saints? Also, when we are serving uh, Christ in the church and uh, in evangelism, we grow in the knowledge of God's love for his bride, which is the church, the body of Christ, and in his heart for the lost. Now, Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience. Now, Paul links God's power with all knowledge of him. Oh, I'm sorry, saints, I, I bumped the mic if, if uh, you heard something. Uh, like I was saying, Paul links God's power with all knowledge of him, God. Now, notice how Peter does the same thing in 2 Peter 1, 3. Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, I paraphrase through there, but that's 2 Peter 1, 3. So God calls us to live lives which are worthy of him, not man, not tradition, not your denomination. We have to live our lives so that we can be worthy of Christ, okay? Producing fruit in every good work, 
producing a godly character and winning souls. That's my mission, to win souls. Now, by ourselves, these things are impossible. So he has given us his divine power within us. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit. And as we do his will, we are constantly strengthened by that power. Now, some people feel that they haven't experienced their power. And, and often it's because they never asked for it. They are scared of the power of, of God, but they are not scared of the power of Satan. They're not scared to live according to the flesh, but they're scared to live according to the spirit. Unbelievable. And some think they just don't need it. Yeah, saints, I, look, some, I've talked to a lot of people. Some think they just don't need it. Now, those who go to battle for God, which is uh, in effect to do his will, serving others, evangelizing, and living a life worthy of the gospel will need God's power every day. I'm telling you, we need it every day. And we'll need to be strengthened by the filling of the Holy Spirit every day. Okay, saints, this will produce endurance and patience in them. Now, as Paul, when I say them, I'm talking about the uh, Colossians. As Paul says in verse 11, and, and, and they will also have good reason to give thanks joyfully. Paul says, remember, we read this. Paul says this, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, saints, remember that was the NIV. Yours may be worded differently, but we are in the same place. If we can read these promises of God without desiring to give thanks joyfully, then I wonder if we have any inkling of what we have been saved from saints. What has been done for us? Do we have any inkling of that? And what is prepared for us? We are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, Paul tells us we are co-heirs with Christ in Romans 8, 17, meaning that all that is his, all that belong to Christ, it also belongs to us. We have been rescued out of the dominion of darkness. Now notice the word dominion here as opposed to Christ's kingdom. Now the word dominion comes from the idea of being dominated as a slave under a dictator. Now Satan is that dictator, the one who blinds the minds of the unbelieving in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Now Satan is the prince of darkness. We need to understand that absolutely. He is the prince of darkness. He is behind all the calamity that we are seeing on earth today. And those who have not accepted and embraced God's offer of rescue, meaning his, his, his redemption plan, Christ Jesus, will eventually be cast into eternal darkness with Satan. Read Matthew twenty two thirteen. 13. They will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone with Satan and the false prophet. Okay, now... Uh, uh, let me read Isaiah 9, 2. But Christ reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light because the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. Isaiah 9 2. Mm -hmm. And you also uh, might be able to read that reference, not uh, verbatim, in Job uh, 12 22. Now, we who know Christ were once under Satan's dominion, we were under his control, we were dominated by Satan. We were walking in darkness, unable to rescue ourselves. We can't save ourselves, saints. That's why we needed a savior. But we have been rescued by Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And our inheritance is with him in the kingdom of light. Now, he calls us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Read 1 John 2, 6. Now, living a life worthy of him, worthy of Christ. And bearing fruit in every good work, reflecting his glory as we let our light shine before men, that they may see our good deeds or our good works and praise our Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. Now, in order to do this, he strengthens us with all power according to his glorious might so that we may stand against all the schemes or either the wiles of the enemy. Read Ephesians 6. Uh, verses 10 and 11. Now, there are times when we are watching the news and, and, and I don't know about you, but I see horrific scenes of violence, cruelty, immorality, greed, death, disease, corruption beyond my understanding in our government, local and federal. Okay. Now, th th these verses that we have read remind us of this dark world in which we live in, saints. But there are as many times when we are enjoying times with friends and family, looking forward to some important event, you know, like, like somebody getting married, a close friend or a family member getting, getting married, and then, and, or, or either we going to purchase a new car or a new home, you know, we go on vacation, you know, to celebrate birthday parties or going to sporting events or concerts. Now, the world often seems like a pretty nice place, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Now, at these times, it is often difficult to see the intensity of this dominion of darkness because all of this seems well in our little corner of the world. Now, we may have close friends and family who are uninterested in Christianity. They are not interested in Jesus because of all these different teachings that they heard in, in all these different denominations that God did not create, Satan did it to confuse because the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. So we know Satan is the one who, who, who implemented these denominations and all these different religions. As we stand today, there's about 10,000 different religions. You know, God didn't create it because it causes confusion. And then we have people who are not grounded and rooted in the word of God. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them as an anchor or as a teacher to reveal to them what is truth against what isn't truth. They, they just shut everything down. I don't, I don't want Jesus. I, you know, I don't want to be no Muslim. You know, I don't want to be no Buddhist. I don't want to be no Judaizer, you know, because they are hearing all these different things. And then they see you as a Christian living a, a worldly life. They don't see any difference. Now, I'm going to digress right here for a second. I've talked to several people about, you know, different things. Uh, some conversations about, you know, Christ and uh, some conversations about religion and denominations and some just, you know, about life in general. And I've had several people tell me that as a result of them meeting me and having a conversation with me, they felt different 
in a positive way. And let me tell you something. They don't know that brought tears to my eyes because that's my mission is to impact people in a positive way so that I can lead them to Christ. Yeah, so that I can lead them to Christ. Now, friends who are helpful, loving, and supportive, do we view these people as walking in darkness or blinded by the God of this world, which is Satan, in need of, of salvation, in need of being rescued from eternal separation from our Lord? Because if you don't, you should. Now, and, and we must. Because this is a reality. There are many decent unbelievers in this world, people who are basically law-abiding citizens. They may be war heroes or volunteers in, in, involved in charity work. They are people who you could, could never imagine committing murder, excuse me, stealing, you know, stealing from you, cheating on, on their spouse or, or abusing children. Now, indeed, they are people you may have a great deal of respect for. But the truth is, all of us are sinners and have fallen short of God's glory and have rebelled against the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and all under vile circumstances. Now, we all can and do things which come out of our sinful nature. Yes, we do. Unbelieving people are still nice people by, by the grace of provision and, and, and love of God. Satan usually leaves these people alone. Yes, saints, he usually leaves these people alone for the most part because he knows that pushing them to the edge of despair may push them into the arms of Jesus Christ. And that's what he do not want to do. And he could just as easily push them to hate God. But often people, because I've had someone tell me this recently, why does um, good things always happen to bad and evil people? And know what I said to this person? I said, because Satan is not after his own. Uh-huh. Satan is not after his own. So I, we should be a person that bears fruit in every good work. A person who acts with all spiritual wisdom and understanding a person who bears witness to the glorious power of God when difficult times come and we need great endurance and patience. Now, in those difficult times, all families go through. We can be the light of the world for them. Be prayerful and patient and above all, thankful to the one who has rescued us or delivered us made us saints and given us an inheritance with him in his glorious kingdom of light. Now, saints, that's my time for today. I hope this is enlightening you. I hope that you are learning something. And we will, let's see, cover verses 15, 16, and 17, possibly all the way up to uh, verses 23 in episode two. So, saints, look, I, I enjoy teaching. I haven't taught in a minute because I was dealing with some health issues and uh, to, by the grace of God and his healing power, I am ready. I am ready again. And I hope you guys are enjoying the race, religion, and racism excerpts I have been uh, sharing with you. I will continue to uh, share the, the final maybe two uh, episodes that I want to share of that series next week, next weekend. So until then, saints, walk in love, walk in the love of Christ. Walk worthy of the Lord. Peace out.
I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamla D. That is at dollar sign capital D lowercase r capital C lowercase a m a l e capital D and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamla D., serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.